comment. So I, uh, given I had to say a number of announcements about what it looked like to be both in person and online, I have uh, one more plug, which is we won't be doing a couple things like Gloria Patri and Doxology because we have realized it's just too hard to have those and not sing. It's just too hard. And so it's difficult. We'll be easing back in. But one thing that you can do if you're in the pews, and I promise you, I will not be upset. Um, you may not, but if you do, um, you can chat on Facebook with the people that are live. There's 26 people that are, well, households that are viewing, and so feel free to chat during the service, and no one will be upset if you pull out your phone and you say hi and make your presence known to that. Things are different, and perspectives on life are different, right? I remember a few years ago, I was... Uh, felt like a few years ago. I think it was only a year or so ago. But I was in Bangkok, and I was there because my cousin was getting married. And my cousin uh, was marrying someone who is half Thai, half Jewish, which was a very interesting wedding to do. But all that to say, I was there in a city that I had been at before, and I was so excited to go around with my wife, Ashley, and be able to explore the city that I had been when I was living in Japan. And being someone who absolutely loves food, if you know anything about Bangkok, you know that they have amazing restaurants. And so, of course, I spent months preparing for what restaurant we were going to go to. And I was up on, you know, figuring out what the Michelin stars were going to be. There's the best uh, restaurant in the entire world that was there. But I, I wasn't quite sure I wanted to spend $400 a person. So I ended up uh, settling for the number seven restaurant in all of Asia, according to Michelin stars. And I was so excited. And Ashley, she's a good sport. She goes along for the ride. You know, we went through these alleyways, and this happened to be kind of like a, you know, smaller place. And she's like, we're walking through this alley. I think she saw, you know, a little creature running on the ground. She's like, are you sure we're going to the right place? I'm like, yes, Ashley, I promise we're going to the right place. And it's going to be worth it. Thank you for risking it. Risking it with me. And so we did that, and then we get there, and we sit down, and it's just amazing. We, everything is perfect. It's like a 17-course meal. But halfway through the meal, there's a couple that sits down next to us. And this couple, I think, travels more than us, and they're even better foodies than me, apparently. But they spent a significant portion of that time arguing with each other about whether or not it was as good as other restaurants. And so we're sitting there trying to enjoy just the prong. Every single dish that came out was uh, like just perfectly put together and just so good. And then we're having to hear this sort of backseat driver from a, a table over us. And they'll be like, well, this wasn't as good as the one in, Thailand, or one in Vietnam. Or this wasn't as good as this. And then the husband's saying, are you sure this was worth it? And then all these things. The reality was, is it was good food. Period. The perspective on it changed everything. The reality was, is that the food was good. The perspective on the goodness changed based on the way in which they approached that dinner. They thought they were going to be part of the Michelin team giving stars out. We were just there to enjoy an amazing dinner blended between French and Thai cuisine. And that's what we got. We're coming up on Holy Week just a few weeks away. And on Holy Week, we look at the cross on Good Friday. And the perspective that we take on that changes things. I know so many Christians that find themselves in a seat of being judged. 
And what I mean by that is they think that the cross and its full purpose is that our wrong deeds get put up there on the cross with Jesus and punished by God so that we might have eternal life. In the theology world, it's what we call the justification theory of atonement. Long words, don't have to remember it, but it is but a way in which we see the cross. Our scripture reading that we so often reflect on, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that God gave his only son, is often seen through that lens. But what if we see it a bit differently? What if we see it through the lens of which the writer of John seems to allude? It begins the passage with, just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so too the Son of Man must be lifted up. And I know all of you Bible scholars know that the writer of John was referring to a chapter out of Numbers, right? You know that. When uh, the people of Israel, story from the first part, found themselves grumbling to Moses. We were better off in the desert, or in Egypt, as slaves. We had water and food that wasn't manna from heaven. We were better off there And so God God allows serpents to come through the midst of the Israelites and whoever would be bit by the serpent would die. But then the people plea out to Moses, save us, intercede on our behalf. We were wrong. And so Moses does just that and goes to God. And God tells him, take this rod and a serpent of bronze that's with it. And hold it up in the air, and whoever looks upon the bronze snake will be healed. Whoever looks upon this will be healed. And we could focus a lot on the sort of condemnation or the poisonous snakes in the midst. In the same way, we can focus on the cross as being primarily a focus of God's judgment upon the sin of the world. But I don't believe that to be the primary thrust of both scriptures. I think the primary thrust of both is when we are left to our own darkness, our own sin, we tend to find ourselves like that couple in Thailand that just couldn't enjoy the meal because they were too focused on what was wrong with it. And in the same way, the Israelites wandering in the desert too focused on what was wrong with their situation to forget all of the miracles and even the ways in which God had saved them from their enemies just a few passages prior. The perspective we take changes everything. And here, Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jewish uh, priesthood leadership, comes to Jesus by night so as not to be seen, and starts questioning Jesus. Probably looking just like that couple in Thailand for something to complain about, about his teaching. Just like the Israelites that were so focused on what was wrong, he came to try to trick Jesus, try to figure out what was wrong with his teaching. And then he says, just as the serpent was raised, so too the Son of Man will be. That whoever looks upon the Son will have eternal life. 
Because get this, the passage does not say, so God sent Jesus into the world to take the ultimate punishment for everything wrong you have done in life. It says that God sent the, Jesus into the world not to condemn the world, but to redeem it. See, because friends, St. Augustine talks about sin. And we like to think of sin as like the Ten Commandments that we talked about last week. The things that we do wrong or the things that other people do wrong, right? But sin is not just a list of stuff. Sin is a perspective on life. St. Augustine says that sin is humanity's turn within ourself so that we think about our interests, about our needs, about our safety, about our finances, about me. And as long as we are stuck there, we will remain in darkness. And the irony is that when you're stuck in a life of sin, you can't help but see yourself and others through a lens of judgment. Because when you're stuck in sin, you're trying to do what you can to make your life better. When you're stuck in sin, you think that eternal life is about what I can do and about what my neighbor should be doing. But God wants to free us to a life of grace. To a life where God doesn't send God's Son into the world to condemn the world, but to heal it. That whoever simply looks upon the Son that's lifted up may find a path that leads to life in its fullness. Look and live. Stop judging yourself and stop judging the world around you because that is not the game that God is in. The business of God is one of love and offering his son to us. And the life that we live is a life not of me and what I can get or about what others should do. But it's a life of humility. It's a life that Jesus led. And the challenge with that is that that life that Jesus led doesn't always lead to fame and fortune. <laughs> Leads to the cross. The hope in that life is that nothing, nothing will stop you from living into the wholeness of life, not even the death caused by the life that you live. That the ultimate power of death cannot overcome the light. And so our goal is to live in the light. To live like Jesus, who ultimately ended up dying, giving of himself to the world.
and defeating any power that would stand in our way. Friends, that's what we're called to do. Just like last week, to love God and to love others is what we talked about. That is our goal. But we need to offer ourselves grace and offer grace to our neighbors. God did not send Jesus to the world to condemn the world, but to heal it, to reconcile it, to make it whole. How might we be willing to accept God's love unconditionally, offered to us most fully on the cross? It's a question that I hope that we can prepare ourselves for as we move closer and closer to Good Friday. That we might live a life of freedom, of grace. That we might offer the same sort of freedom to our neighbors, to our families, to the world. That all who might encounter us might get a glimpse of the love that God offers. Not a love to condemn the world, but a love to forgive it. So how about we turn our gaze together and not look to our needs, our best interest, but look to the cross, to the one who looked not first to his own needs, but to the needs of the world. If you've been, fo- if you've been following with us in the Advent series, Lent for Everyone, you'll know that N.T. Wright goes to, uh, to lengths to share that, to help us see what that looked like for Jesus as he marches through the Gospel of Mark. And as I've been reading that in the mornings as my devotional, over and over again, I'm struck by the ways that Jesus offers himself to those in need. Whether it's the legion, the man who is strapped to the chain, whether it's to the blind man, whoever he encounters, he gives not out of his own interest, but out of the love that God sent him into the world to be. Let us be that love for the world. I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, let us look to the cross. And as we look to the cross, let us not see you who waits to judge us for our wrongdoings, but you who hopes we might walk in the way that leads to life and that we might look up to you and not to ourselves and find the love that you give us and are always more willing to send than we are to receive. So let us look to your old rugged cross and be reminded of the grace that you give.
And it's in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.